In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the sacrament. Amen. For the third straight weekend, we're hearing from the second chapter of Acts of the Apostles. This weekend, however, we get the very end of the account of St. Peter's Pentecost speech. After hearing his words, the people gathered are cut to the heart. They ask, what should we do? Word for word, the exact same as what the crowd gathered around John the Baptist asked. T. Poyesomen, what shall we do? Peter responds that they should repent and be baptized. They acquiesce, and about 3,000 persons were added that day. We'll also hear another passage from the first letter of Peter as our second reading. Recall that this book of the Bible is commonly believed to be an ancient baptismal homily. At this point of the letter, the preacher is speaking directly to slaves who have been baptized. This is noteworthy for several reasons. The first is that, apart from the Bible, nowhere in the ancient writings which have survived until today do we find anyone else directly addressing slaves. Many ancient thinkers addressed the owners of slaves, and some even wrote about the characteristics of a good slave, but no one ever spoke to the slaves themselves. This is the first revolutionary aspect of St. Peter's words. On top of that, the second is that St. Peter addresses the slaves in the audience before he addresses other more well-regarded groups of the people, such as wives or husbands. This is likely because St. Peter sees the slave as the best representation of how every member of the church should live, in humble obedience to others. St. Peter wants to emphasize how the life of a slave is one characterized by suffering, and on occasion, suffering for doing good. Our second reading begins like this. If you are patient when you suffer for doing what is good, this is a grace before God. The Greek word he uses here is kadis, And in English, we often take an abstract, conceptual approach to the word grace. But here, we should think of it much more in the concrete. Grace, at least as it's used here, is something more like this. Think of going to an arcade and doing well enough in a game that it spits out a row of tickets. As you keep playing the games, you're accruing these tickets so that at the end, you can swap them out for a prize. Well, that's something of what St. Peter is getting at with this concept of grace. When a slave, or anyone for that matter, suffers for doing what is good, this is a grace before God, something like a ticket for which God will be pleased to receive. After speaking about grace in the face of suffering, St. Peter is going to utilize the suffering servant song of the 53rd chapter of Isaiah as a parallel to the experience of Jesus, to the experience of the slaves, and to the experience of all Christians. If you can believe it, verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 11, and 12 of Isaiah 53 are all alluded to in this passage. Lines such as, He himself bore our sins, and by his wounds you have been healed. If you'd like, check out the first 12 verses of Isaiah 53 and see how much of the language is used in this passage. The second reading ends with the author saying that you had gone astray like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. That's the perfect segue into our gospel passage on this Good Shepherd Sunday, since we'll hear the first 10 verses of the famous Good Shepherd Discourse of John, chapter 10. The imagery of sheep and shepherd is used throughout the scriptures, 
And some scholars believe that the first five verses of our gospel comprise a parable, which then receives explanation in the later passages. The imagery of sheep and shepherd is used throughout the scriptures, and some scholars believe that the first five verses of our gospel comprise a parable, which then receives explanation in the later verses, just like the parable of the sower. But this isn't exactly the case. Certain ideas in later verses are never mentioned in the parable itself. Nonetheless, the real key to the passage is understanding just what a sheepfold is. It's a portioned-off pen for sheep that would either be attached to a family dwelling or stand alone in a field. It was walled off with high and usually stone walls with a gate serving as an entrance and exit. Sheep would be ushered into the sheepfold for protection at nightfall and physically weren't able to escape the sheepfold without passing through the gate. All of this helps to put context to the first verse of the passage. Whoever does not enter a sheepfold through the gate, but climbs over elsewhere, is a thief and a robber. Envision people who might hop over the wall and attempt to get the sheep out of the sheepfold. Yet Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. How is that? Whoever enters through me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this fourth Sunday in Easter in year A. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.